you missed that message last night, get your hands on it. Whatever you do, put your hands on that sermon. The man within the man. Oh, what a message. Praise God. Amen. Brother Tenney, Lord bless you. It's so good to have you and your good wife here. Thank you, Brother Merrick. And I don't know what you came to do, but I came to... Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I believe it's camp meeting time in Minnesota. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who is it that saves you from sin? Who heals your body? Who answers your prayers? In whose name are you baptized? Who's coming back after you? How many gods are there? What's his name? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's camp meeting time in Minnesota. And any time he wants some attention, he can have it. Shake hands with your neighbor and say, it's count meeting time. Do it right now. It's count meeting time. I feel a Louisiana brush arbor spell coming on. I'm in Louisiana camp meeting, Sister Tenney. You folks know what this is up here? This is the apostolic freeway. You know, a freeway, they have signs, limited access. Well, this is limited access. No unclean thing can run there on. And some of you are peeling off of these feeder roads right onto this freeway. We're going to have to take up collection to have traffic sergeants around here somewhere. Nothing like Pentecost. God bless you. I am so happy to be here. And I feel the Holy Spirit present and prevalent. And may he have his sovereign way here tonight. Anytime the Lord wants to take over, well, I'm willing just to get out of the way and let God have his way. If you have your Bibles, as Brother Merrick said, there is no substitute for the Word of God. I'll stay with you while you shout, and you stay with me while I preach. Is that fair enough? Everybody say, preach, Brother Timmy. Thank you. God bless you. I will. Exodus chapter 2, the second chapter of the book of Exodus. From Exodus chapter 2, let us read verses 11 and 12. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked 
this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And then in the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. My subject, the power of a selfless life. Now I did not say the power of a selfish but the power of a selfless life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we take dominion over every spirit that would oppose the Holy Spirit. To the glory of God, the word of the Lord is going forth. And any spirit that opposes the sovereign work of God and His word here tonight, we banish in the name of Jesus. We bind this service to the blood of the Lamb. Satan and imps of hell, you will not like what you're about to hear, so you may as well leave now and loose these people to receive the engrafted word that's able to save them. We claim this prayer because we pray it in the name that's above every name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. We swim in a sea of selfishness. Our world today is an island of conceit surrounded by a sea of egotism. It is estimated that the average American speaks nine million words a year and that Five million of those words are the words I, me, my, or mine. We live in a selfish world. And yet one of the principles of this book we love is there is power in a selfless life. A self-giving life. A life where ego abdicates the throne. And Christ who is resident becomes president. We often quote the Lord's model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. You know it. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
But there is no way that we can pray thy kingdom come until we first pray my kingdom go. Power of a selfless life. Power comes from relinquishing and releasing. We have a tendency in this 20th century era to grab. You know, the world said if you want anything, get it. But the laws of the charter of the kingdom of God are reversed to the laws of mankind. The laws of the kingdom said you get by giving. You go up by going down. You gain by losing. And over and over we run into the diametrically opposed laws of the kingdom of God. And politicians wouldn't understand me tonight. Educators would not understand me tonight. When I talk to you about the power of a selfless life of relinquishment and of abdication of self and of debasement of ego. Let me introduce you to Moses. When we meet him here, he is at the height of his career. He was educated. He was a man of culture. He had prestige. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had wealth. He had influence. But he also had a commission from God to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptians' bondage. And he knew it. It was evident. And he went out one day and he was anxious, you know, to get, quote, unquote, the show on the road. And it's so easy to become impatient with the pace of God. And maybe he had his banners already painted, if, as Paul said, you'll bear with me in my folly. Out of Egypt into Canaan was his slogan, following General Moses. And they were cracking in the silos of his chamber. He was so anxious. So he went out one day and he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew and he said, this is my chance to get it done, to get the show on the road. You will never do the work of the Spirit in the energy of the flesh. The effectiveness of any idea depends upon the temper of the times into which it's introduced. You can be right in an idea and wrong in its administration. Moses, you're right in your idea, but your timing and your methodology is wrong. Now, according to the methodology of Egypt, the universities where you've been trained, this is the way. Go out, get a hold of a situation, shove, push, grab, get it moving. Uh You know, we're living in a high-powered rapid age today. And we in the church can get caught up in a high-powered holy hustle. And we're so busy doing non-stop the next thing next. And a hundred years ago, if you missed the stagecoach, so what? You could catch the one that came next month. But today, if we miss one panel in a revolving door, we're off schedule for six weeks. 
If God's got a one word enemy today, that one word enemy is hurry. And do you know we can bring that culture into church? And we can even put peer pressure on our preacher. Hurry up, preacher. Get things done. Move on. I know that's the pace of our era and our age. But we can't change what's written in the book. And the book said, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. That's God's plan. Wait. But Moses, Saul, the Egyptian mistreating the Hebrew. Notice what the Bible said. I read it. He looked this way and he looked that way. But he didn't look this way. He was very anxious to know what man was thinking. He was more man conscious than God conscious because he kept his eye level on the earthly sphere. And he went sauntering forth saw the occasion, took things in his own hands, and as I told you a couple of nights ago, anytime you take anything out of God's hands, he'll let you have it. And he killed the Egyptian. He said, I must be doing pretty good. There's one down. And he dug in the sand, and he buried that Egyptian, but it wasn't long until the winds of God uncovered the works of the flesh. And he was exposed How ironic that Moses, out of the will of God, could not keep one Egyptian buried in the sand. But when he got in the will of God, he buried all Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Timing. Got it in his hands. Grabbed. Get the show on the road. Got to follow the philosophy of Egypt. Just transfer it into the church. You know, we got a lot of new cart methods. Philistinian ideas to transfer into the church to make things go just a little smoother. Here was Moses exposed. And Moses, who started out to become a missionary, became a murderer. And he who started to lead his people out of bondage became a fugitive. And he who had a Ph.D. from the University of Egypt was on the backside of the desert working on his B.N. degree. And that B.N. degree was B-nothing. You see, Moses, your Ph.D. won't count with God. And I'm not quarreling with education. Told you last night, God can use baptized brains. But I'll tell you one thing, there's a lot of open minds today that ought to be closed for repairs. And some people are so open-minded until their brains have fallen out. There are some things that are undebatable. All right, Moses, you got your Ph.D., but you've got to learn the laws of God on the backside of the desert in isolation. You've got to stay there until you understand you are nothing, and your methodology is nothing, but Jehovah Lord is everything, and His plan is paramount. You've got to learn how to turn loose. You see, at this stage of his life, Moses was a man who was stuffed full of himself and it's hard for God to fill a man who's already overflowing with himself. 
Someone has said that Moses' life was in three stages. The first 40 years, he was learning to be a prince. The next 40 years, he was learning to be a pauper. In the last 40 years, he was learning to be a prophet. The first 40 years, he was learning to be something. The next 40 years, he was learning to be nothing. And the next 40 years, he was learning what God could do with a man that learned the first two lessons. Valuable lessons that any individual ever, ever used of God has to learn. A man must first learn he's nothing before God can use him. And I'm not talking about self-debasement, but, but a rationale of Christ is everything. And I can do all things only through Christ, not trusting, as the prophet said, in the shadow of Egypt. When you live in Egypt, as we do, it's difficult not to trust in the shadow of Egypt. When you learn how to manipulate and how to do so many things and how to make it on your own. A fellow told Abraham Lincoln when he was president, he said, Mr. Lincoln, I am a self-made man. Mr. Lincoln said, I'm glad to know it because now that absolves God of all responsibilities. Oh, Jesus. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, Paul said. But God hath chosen the weak things of this earth to confound the mighty and to bring to naught in our verbiage those that think they're something. We say sometimes, you know, I've got to really make something out of myself and that's a good philosophy as long as you realize that self has to be sanctified. When I hear Moses on the backside of a desert, can you hear him talking to himself, herding a little group of sheep? Here's a man with a PhD that came right from the royal palace of Egypt, and he's walking around in sandals, following a bunch of blading sheep. And here's the humility of the thing. The Bible said Egyptians hated shepherds. Do you know the Bible said that? Egyptians hated shepherds. And he was doing the very thing he was taught all of his life to hate. That's where God put him to teach him. You know, don't ever say, I won't do something or I'll never go here. That may be the very thing. And I can hear him. Here I am. All of my abilities are being overlooked. Think of what I could be doing if I could just break out of this cocoon with all of my knowledge. And here I am on the shelf. Doesn't anybody know? Doesn't God know? I knew, no, I, I heard the voice of the Lord. One thing we overlook about valleys, and who among us has not been through a valley, is the fact that David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley. And when we get in the valley, instead of walking till we get through it, We stop in the middle of it and wallow in it and have a pity party. There you are. Forty years. Finally, there comes that burning bush. And God says, take off your shoes. 
You know why God took, told him to take off his shoes? That was his running gear. And every time God tried to get him to listen, he'd run off and do something his own way. So God said, the first thing you do is get off your running gear. You're not going anywhere till I get through talking to you. Now, you've been so busy watching the grass till you've missed the burning bush. And I like that burning bush. It was just a regular old sagebrush. Ladies and gentlemen, any old bush will do if it'll just yield to the flame. A world will stop by. An educated man with a Ph.D. stopped by to see an ordinary bush. The, 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 the Sinai was full of it. I, I've been privileged to, to, to drive through the Sinai. I have been to Mount Sinai. I have seen the place where Moses gave, was given the law. I've seen the place where the golden calf was reportedly set up. It's one of the most God-forsaken areas I was ever in in my life. It's full of sagebrush and full of rocks. In fact, that's all that's there. But that particular ordinary bush yielded to the flame. And a man stopped by to see it burn because it wasn't consumed. And there's a world out there that's looking for burning bushes. So he turned aside. He and the Lord had a little talk. The Lord said, what's that in your hand? He said, "It's it's a rod. It was just a shepherd's rod, nothing but a piece of stick that he had picked up somewhere in the wilderness. And it had been worn smooth by his hand. It felt right. Somewhere he picked it up. He protected the flock with it. He uh, leaned on it. and It was just like an old friend. It was part of him. And all I've got is this old rod. Now hear me. This rod was the last symbol of what little authority he had. This is it. And he knew it. This is the last vestige. I'm an old shepherd, and this is the symbol of that little authority. And really, I'm an under-shepherd under Jethro, my father-in-law. God, that's just my little old. It's all I got left. (laughs) You know what happened to the rest? Gave it all up for you. So God said, throw it down. it down Lord when are you going to let up on me when I'm talking about the power of a selfless life throw it down why throw it away Lord it's a good little rod throw it down but Lord I need it throw it down It's all I've got left. I'm totally defenseless without it. And my sheep are. Throw it down. And you know the story. When he threw it down, it became a serpent. And when he saw what it was, he fled from it. And everything he said from that point forward was from his heart because his heart was in his throat. He was begging for it a few minutes ago. Don't make me throw it down. Let me have it. But when he threw it down and saw what it was, he fled from it. God, I can't understand all of this. God's commands are not always explainable. The path 
of the just may be a winding road, but it's not a dead-end street. It's going somewhere. And besides that, God is not here to explain himself to our vain imaginations. He's here for us to trust. God did not explain. He said, throw it down, Moses. I've got to get you to release the last symbol of your authority. And then I'm going to endue you with a power and an authority necessary to deliver my people from Egyptians' bondage. Oh, something in my heart cries for apostolic authority. The power of the book of Acts. The dynamics of the Holy Ghost. Whatever it takes, Lord, this generation needs to be led out of bondage. Tell you something. Any preacher ever told you that when you come to Jesus, life gets easier. I'm sorry. Life doesn't get easier, but it does get better. In fact, I didn't even know there was a devil until I got saved. I heard people talking about how mean the devil was. We had a seminar here a while back. One of our young evangelists just took a church. He stood up to say something. He'd been pastoring about six months. He said, you know, brethren, when I was an evangelist, I preached about the devil. But he said, since I've been pastoring, I met him. serpent started. And now while he's running God stops him and says pick it up. I wish you'd make up your mind Lord. Did the Lord ever do you like that? And notice what the Lord said. He gave him specific directions. Pick it up by the tail. I don't know if you've ever watched snake handlers. I have. Not religious ones but those that milk them for their venom. They don't ever pick them up by the tail because that leaves the business end loose. You know where you pick them up? By the head, right behind. That's the only safe place to pick up a snake. Now, God's commands sometimes, I'm honest with you, they don't make sense. First of all, why throw the thing down? Secondly, why did it turn into a snake? Thirdly, while I'm running to get away from the thing, you stop me. Fourthly, you tell me to pick it up. Fifthly, you tell me i got to pick it up by the tail where the thing is loose to bite me. But God said do it, and Moses reached down and picked it up by the tail. And when he did, it became a rod again. And from that day, the rod of Moses became the rod of God. But it did not become the rod of God until he was willing to turn it loose. Well, God, what are you trying to tell us here? And I know I'm not preaching camp meeting style, but I know what I'm doing. Why? 
What are you trying to teach us? Let, let me tell you what I believe the Lord was saying to Moses. When he cast it on the ground and gave it to the Lord, God revealed something to him. Moses, you never would have dreamed that there was a serpent in that rod. And a serpent is the principle of sin until you threw it down. And God could never use it, Moses, until the snake was taken out of it. But once you released it and gave it to God, though you didn't understand it, and God miraculously took the snake out of it. When you get it back, it's no longer the rod of Moses. It's now the rod of God. And I wonder if there's not a little bit of the principle of sin, a little bit of snake in all of us. Until we are completely thrown at His feet and touched by His Spirit. And the self-life is driven away by the winds of God. You see, God will never burglarize the human will. He will never cross the picket line of your unwillingness. You've got to be willing to take what's in your hand and throw it down. What is it? Is it ability? Is it a fine mind? Is it money? Is it power to speak? Is it personality? What's in your hand? Throw it down and and let him take the snake out of it. And let God have it. I, I have seen people who were so filled with natural and human ability until they were dangerous. I had a young man that came to me a couple of years ago. And had some problems. And he, we were at a conference and he said, Brother Tenny, I've got sense enough to know you're watching me. I said, well, say on. He said, I want to know what you think of me. I said, let's go in the back room. We were at a conference. So I took him in the back room. I said, you're right. I said, now you've asked me, I'm going to tell you. Sometimes we've got to care enough to confront. I said, I've watched you for a long time. And I said, you know what you're eat up with? He said, what? I said, natural ability. And I said, you have learned how to get in that pulpit. Just when to hit that guitar. What course to pull out. What jokes to crack. What cliches to throw out to manipulate people. And I said, you're dangerous. Because you are not. That ability is not consecrated. And if you don't consecrate it. I said, you know exactly what to do to turn a service on. God or no God. I said, you can walk to a pulpit and flip through your Bible and, and pick up notes and preach. God or no God. He turned white as my shirt. He said, you're right. And I said, that ability, if it's not dedicated to God, is what's going to destroy you. He thanked me. He said, work with me. Watch me. I did. But he didn't listen. And he shipwrecked today. There's nothing wrong with ability and talent. We need it. But it's all got to be thrown down at his command. And let him take the self-life out of it. Let him take it out. And then 
You see, it's as old as Adam and Eve. It is the stupidity of independence. If we could just realize that there's not a breath we breathe, not a thought we think, not a dime we earn without his momentary blessings. And, and the taproot of rebellion is to desire to be great on our own terms. An ambition to be great, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, here's the principle, if any man among you will be great, let him be the servant, if any will be chief, let him be the minister. He's got to follow. Let some things be taken out because a willingness to let go is so often replaced by a stubborn compulsion. You see, we've got to be willing to, as Paul said, spend and be spent, not just little bitsy pieces of me now and then, but here I am, Lord. So he threw it down. And God took the snake out of it. And God said, pick it up again. Same Moses, same ability, same talent, same position, same place, same rod, but anointed by God and touched by Jehovah. And he went forth in God's way and in God's time. David's own father overlooked him. David's own brothers overlooked him. Nobody thought to send for him. And the prophet said, bring all your sons. But he wasn't even important enough to bring. And later, his brothers mocked him. What was the difference in David and his brothers? I'll tell you the difference. The anointing of God. The anointing of God. The anointing of God. He wasn't more educated. He wasn't more brilliant. He wasn't taller. The anointing of God makes the difference all right you're through with me God God said no take your hand thrust it in your bosom bosom that's a heart pull it out oh leprosy now what does this mean put it back in again I'm healed. You see, the sin principle in your ability has got to be removed, your rod. And the sin principle in your hand and your heart. Your heart stands for what you are. And your hand stands for what you do. And that's got to be taken out too. What you are, what you do. Motive. You know something? God. Now I'll cross theological swords with some of you. But God is more interested in why you do it than He is what you do. God counts motive for deed. Oh no, Brother Tenney. Oh yes. God can count motive for deed. For instance... If you hate your brother in your heart, doesn't say you have to kill him, but hate him. What are you? Motive? Hate. God said, mark it down. It's murder. If you look on a woman, and let me say this, the original Greek says, continue to look with the purpose of lust. It's not one look and a quick 
hot coal of juniper from the devil. And then a guilt trip on yourself. But if you look on a woman to lust, then you have committed what? But you hadn't done it. God said, mark it down. Motive for deed. Now that's the negative. Let me give you the positive. You're a fine sister in the church. You're married to an unsaved man. In your heart, you want to pay tithes. But he won't let you. But the motive is there. I want to pay tithes. God said, angel, mark it down. Tithes. Motive. God is interested. We need to filter all of our motives through the Holy Ghost. It is so easy. So easy to bow our knee but not bow our will. I heard a preacher. He told this on himself. I believe he was telling the truth. Pastor a large church. He was praying one day and he said God spoke to him and said you don't love me. He said God what do you mean? And he said the voice of the Lord came again you don't love me. He said you love your church you love your work and you love your ministry but you don't love me. It is, is it possible to go through the motions without meaning? Brother Tenney, what are we doing? We're getting ready for revival. In the Holy Ghost, I tell you, God is preparing this area for a surge of His Spirit. And He is preparing the body He is exercising the body. The body is being fed so that it might have health and strength enough to bring forth. God doesn't have much to to use it. Just that old rod. He didn't say your education. Just give me what you've got. David with a sling and when rock met leather, he made an impression on a giant. Blessed by God, 25,000 at least were fed. Mary in an alabaster box of ointment, the perfume of that ointment has filled the air for 2,000 years because she threw it down. She turned it loose. That's the principle. Turn it loose, Mary. Turn it loose, little lad. Turn that rock loose. The power of relinquishment. Here I am, God. My talents, my ability, everything I ever hoped to be. I throw it at your feet. Touch it and take out of it anything that shouldn't be there. And anoint me, God. And I'll go forth to bring honor to your name. You know, Brother Grant, you are so right. That was just beautiful today. If I could sum up the Bible in one word, 
If somebody said, all right, Tenny, you got one word to sum up the principle of the scripture. What is it? I would say, submission. It's a principle. Submission. I worry about anybody that's not under submission. I worry about anybody that loves their own show. I had a friend tell me years ago, he said, you know, I'm not comfortable around the brethren anymore. He said, since I found my new walk with God. I won't tell you where he is today, but he's a million miles from God. Submission! You know, Brother Tenney, I don't need for anybody. The pastor, I can get my message direct from the Lord. Pastor, I can just stay home with my Bible and the TV preacher and I don't need a pastor. Submission! Submission! God spoke to Moses directly from a burning bush. You don't get any more power than that. But you know what he did? When he got that commission, he went back to Jethro. Because he was submitted to Jethro, the high priest. And he told Jethro what happened. He said, Jethro, what do you think about it? Well, why go ask anybody else? No need. You've heard directly from God. You don't have to go. No. He knew the principle of submission. And that's what made him great. And after Jethro heard the story, he said, go in peace. The Lord is with you. He was submitted to Jethro even though he had a divine revelation from God. And he wouldn't move on that divine revelation until he submitted it to the man he was under and that's not only good for saints it's good for preachers T.F. Tenney needs it bad submission submission oh no brother Tenney oh yeah like the fellow that said faults faults in others I can see but praise the Lord there's none in me This stinking flesh. God's not looking for exceptionally talented people. He's not even looking for exceptionally educated people. But he's looking for people who will give whatever they have to him. And let him take the serpent out of it and give it back to him. And it becomes the rod of God. The power of a selfless life. Now let me hasten on. Moses did three things with that rod after God got hold of it. He, he had been forgotten. You know, he'd been 40 years on the backside of the desert. Where is the dreamer? Oh, he ran off. Yeah, last I heard, he was herding sheep. They, they had pictures in the post office all through Egypt, wanted, dead or alive. Moses, call Pharaoh, collect. But the posters had even yelled. He had been vanquished and languishing. He thought God had him on the back burner and that God had forgotten him. But when he got submitted to God and submitted to God's plan and when he got his BN degree on the backside of that desert and he understood Moses you are nothing. Jehovah is everything. He did three things with this rod. That rod led them out of bondage. That rod led them out of barrenness and that rod led them to battle. Bondage, barrenness, battle. Exodus 14. He went back. Now remember, he's taking his hand off the rod. It's the rod of God. The Egyptians had a lot of gods. God of fertility, God of the sun, God of the stars. and They played little games with 
their rod, Moses' rod. But you know what Moses' rod did? What, what did it do? Ate them up. Listen, this is the hottest brand going. There ain't nothing out there that we can't eat up. We get so specifics on it. And an angel named Moroni came down and said, you can't read those without these special glasses. Put these glasses on and you can read it. And he put the glasses on and he read it and he wrote it down. And two million people believe that stuff. We're not weird. Our doctrine's not weird. I know Brian X, largest so-called Christian church in the world, they teach that in their communion, that bread becomes the literal flesh. And that wine or grape juice, excuse me, becomes the literal blood. Everybody say weird. But there are four or five hundred million people in the world that believe it. You know, we paint ourselves in a corner. Now, I'll tell you this. We've got to differentiate between a man that rejects our gospel and a man that rejects our method of presenting it. Yeah, well, you say they don't want the truth. How did you present it? I like a beef steak, but I like it cooked medium well and put in a plate before me. I don't want anybody to pick up a piece of raw meat and slap me in the face with it and say, do you like it? No, I don't like it that way, but you fix it right. I like it. Amen. I don't understand people that go fishing for souls. Yeah, they call it fishing for souls. And they'll use a cross tie for a pole and a log chain for a line and a big lobster for bait and scream over the boat, bite or go to hell. And then wonder why nobody is caught. That he that winneth souls is wise. This is the most beautiful message that God ever gave man. The glorious gospel of the Son of God. Well, I'm feeling you folks won't need your headlights when you start home in the morning. Well, Brother Kenny, they don't like our standards. They may not like your snooty way of feeling you're better than everybody else because of what you don't do. Somebody said, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss. I don't wear men's apparel. My hair's not cut. I don't dip snuff. I don't chew tobacco. Neither does a fence post. (laughs) Yeah, that's good preaching. You're not just saved by what you don't do. Now, when you get saved, you'll clean up and there's a lot of things you'll quit and get rid of. But don't go bragging because that stinks in his presence. We are nothing. We were a bunch of sinners saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And when I see one out there in the gutter, I can say there, but by the grace of God, is TF today. 
believe in standards, Brother Tenney? Yes, sir. I can preach holiness twice while some of you are thinking about it once. I come from deep. Well, never mind. Wouldn't do for me to tell you what all I believe. But, but they don't like our standards. You ever see these hairy Christians? You got any of them up here? They'll have these long, these hairy Christians, these long saffron robe, mohawk haircut. Stand on street corner, bumpity, bumpity, bump. Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna. Standards. What kind of standards they got? But there are thousands of young people that are being challenged by them. And, and, and we don't have no such standard as that. No, my friend, we can present this in such a way until, as the Bible said, holiness is beautiful. We can match anything Egypt's got. We'll swallow any snake that comes out. If our rod has the snake out of it. But if we don't, we're going to be critical, pharisaical, cynical. Instead of loving and compassionate and kind. And you don't have to compromise one bit to love. Let me tell you something. Everybody say, tell us something. Okay, I will. A closed self cannot be healed. Emotionally, spiritually. And people come in or come around us. And if they are turned off by us, they close up. And they can't be helped. We ought to guarantee three things. To any person that we come in contact with or that comes in our church. Number one, you will always, under ever circumstances, without exception, be loved. You will be loved. Number two, you will be totally accepted. Oh, Brother Tenney, I don't approve of what they've done. I didn't say you approve. There is a difference in acceptance and approval. I can accept you and love you without approving of what you have done. We ought to guarantee that. There are some Pentecostal churches, not in Minnesota, but in Louisiana, that are harder to break into than Alcatraz. They are so cliquish. I went into a church the other night and I was trying to reason with people. I said, I believe I found you folks' favorite scripture. They said, one of the old elders said, what is it? I said, it's where Paul said, none of these things move me. (laughs) I went into a church somewhere between the Atlantic and the Pacific several months back. And I kept trying to get to the bottom of what was wrong, stirring people, saints, growling, grumbling. Finally, it came out. This is not exactly his words, but this is what he said. We had a nice little church here until this pastor we've got now came along and he got all these new people in here. Ooh, I found out what the trouble was. You will be totally accepted. 
was pastoring. Last church I pastored. One Sunday morning, we had full house, packed to the balcony. And I saw a woman come in the back door, and there was no seat, and she was nicely dressed, had on a pantsuit, but it was a very nice pantsuit. And the usher had to bring her all the way down the front, put her on the second row, the end of the row. And uh, I didn't know her. One of my dear, sweet darlings, saved, sanctified, and petrified, was sitting across the row from her. We had a move of God that morning. The altar was filled with people. and This woman, new woman, slipped out. I didn't get to see her. That dear old sister that was sitting across from her came to me and said, Brother Tenney, did you see that woman that came in and sat across from me this morning in that pantsuit? I said, yes, I did, sister, but I didn't get to speak to her. She said, don't worry about it. I did, and I told her not to never come back here again dressed like that. Such wisdom I've not seen in all of Israel. <laughs> now, brother, now somebody will go off and tell Brother Tenney said it's alright to wear pants. It'd say no such thing. It's part of that unisex spirit we're fighting today. Third, if they come, they must understand that no matter how miserably they have failed. Unreserved forgiveness is theirs without any bitter aftertaste. The unforgivable sin is unforgiveness. I didn't say the unpardonable. Because if you don't forgive, God can't forgive. How often Peter said, should we forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, 70 times. That's 490. In a day, if he's talking about daylight hours, that's 16 hours. Why, that figures down to 30 times a minute. Once every two minutes. Forgiveness is a full-time job. Forgiveness is a state of life. You can never live where you can't forgive. Jesus gave us a parable to exemplify it. King called a fellow in that owed him, a servant owed the king 10,000 talents. King said, pay me my 10,000 talents. Oh, king, have mercy, I can't. If you, you'll just give me time, I'll pay it, but I can't. He didn't even say, forgive me of the debt. He just said, I can't pay it. King said, you've touched my heart. I'm going to forgive you the whole debt. I'm talking to you about what Jesus taught. A man went out whistling, skipping. He found a fellow servant that owed him equivalent to $15. One writer said 37 cents. Now he had been forgiven 10,000 talents, which some say was $10 million. And one of his fellow men, he had loaned $15 to. So he said, give me my $15. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. Give me time, I'll pay it. No! And he grabbed him by the throat and shook him. Pay me right now, you're going to jail. I can't, give me time. Throw him in jail. The king heard about it. Set for him. Said, I forgave you of 10,000. And you can't forgive 100 pence. The bargain is canceled. 
go to jail till you pay the last farthing. Now here's what I want to press home to you. Where did the servant get the hundred pence, the fifteen dollars, to loan his fellow servant? He got it out of the ten thousand that the king had given him. He had ten thousand talents of forgiveness from the king. And he couldn't give a fellow servant fifteen dollars worth. I have received ten thousand talents of forgiveness from the king. And I can't give my brother all the forgiveness I got to give is what I've got. And I got it from him. I am afraid of an unforgiving saint of God. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. That snake, serpent of Moses, ate up. Do you understand that? If we're in the right spirit and if we're sanctified, if we're on course, if we're in tune, the message we've got can eat up the country. Let me give you a modern example. One of our, well, it's Brother Tom Barnes. You know Brother Barnes, Brother Alexander. Here's several months back, somebody called him and said, there's a witch that wants to see you. He said, well, bring her on. And so before they got there with the witch, he prayed and he said, now, God, I want her demonic power to be left at the door. Don't let her have one bit of power when she comes in this room. She came in the room and another woman, he got to talking to her. She claimed that she wanted help. She really didn't. She wanted to match power. She said, I've got more power than you've got. She tried several things. Nothing worked. Finally, she said, i got to get out of here. She left. On her way, she told her friend, she said, I am going to send some of my demonic powers to torment that man tonight. I'll show him. Brother Barnes said he went home that night and started to bed. And he said, sure enough, said the room was filled with dark spirits. And he said, instantly, the word of knowledge or word of wisdom came to me. I knew what it was. And he got up and he said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go back to whoever sent you to me and do to them what they told you to do to me. Three days later, the woman called him. She said, Reverend, what have you done to me? He said, what do you mean? She said, I haven't slept in three nights. I'm telling you, what we got will eat up anything that's out there. Oh, the power of the name of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the word of God. We don't have to fear perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment. The devil rewards
rewards fear like God rewards faith. Some saints always uptight. Fear, fear. Old Smith Wigglesworth said he woke up one night and rolled over and saw the devil standing in his room. Said he looked at him and said, oh, that's just you. Rolled over and went back to sleep. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sin does not have dominion over us. We belong to the King of Kings. And all power in heaven and earth is given to the church. They got to that Red Sea. Israel said, what are we going to do? Moses said, what are we going to do? God said, what's in your hand? That same little rod. Stretch it out. Zap! The rod of God. And that sea became a 48 line, 48 lane freeway. And out he went. He said, Moses, why, why Christ out of me? He said, all you've got to do is to speak and the word will be done. Well, why, God, do I have so much power? Because Moses, do you remember that when you said, who am I going to say sent me? I said, tell him, I am. And Moses, I want you to know that before this Red Sea was a vapor or a mud puddle, I am. Go forward. Forward was the way of necessity. Pharaoh is coming. And if we don't move, somebody's going to run over us. Did you hear me? I'm going to say that again. If we don't move, if we let our fears and our negative thinking hold us back, God's going to raise up the people just like He did when Israel wouldn't do it. Because God is going to have a people. And we've, God is saying, move. It's evangelize or fossilize. That's it. God says, move up, move on, get out. Pharaoh's coming. Any church that's trying to grow is going to have opposition from within and without. Hey! The devil had rather start a church fuss than to sell a barrel of whiskey. Pharaoh couldn't get them, so what did the children of Israel start doing? They started murmuring. Mixed multitude. Murmur, 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 murmur. God said, get them out of here. Some of them saying it can't be done. It can't be done. There is no cheap way to grow. The way of necessity is the way forward and there will always be opposition. And we'll either be led into the future by men of vision and power or we'll be shoved by problems. But we're moving. He led them out of bondage with that sanctified rod. Go forward. It was a way of victory. If we're willing to say no to self, to relinquish it. You remember the rich young ruler? He wanted to be a disciple. He wanted to be used. He wanted to be great. Jesus said, what is the law? Oh, the law. And he quoted it. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. He said, I've done all this for my youth up fine. Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Sell what you have. Give to the poor and follow me. Oh. Turn loose of everything. Turn loose of everything. Let me draw you a hypothetical illusion. 
There's three rich individuals referred to in the scripture. Rich young ruler, the rich fool, the rich man in hell. Did you ever stop to think they may be the same person? The rich young ruler couldn't turn loose, so he ends up the rich fool with his barns filled. He made it. But he hears, tonight thy soul should be required of thee, and he becomes the rich man in hell. But it all started because he wasn't willing to turn loose. You just keep praying till you reduce all of your desires to one desire, and that is to serve the Lord. And one major love, and that is to love the Lord. And one major fear, that is to fear the Lord. And at that moment, there is a glorious liberty. That rod led them out of bondage. And I hasten to close. It led them out of barrenness. Hey, they got in that wilderness, no water. Children of Israel murmuring, What's in your hand, Moses? That rod again. Go smite that rock. Hallelujah. And water started coming out. They didn't want to suffer very much. Water started coming out. We've not taught our people, I confess for myself, the New Testament doctrine of suffering. There's times when it's barren. But you've got to keep going because the rock is with you. Smite it. Speak to it. Whatever he says. And the water will come out. And they were filled and they drank. And last, and I close with this. That rod led them to battle. You remember when the fight was going on? Colossians 2.15. Remember when the fight was going on? And Joshua was down in the valley and Moses was up holding up that rod. And as long as he held up that rod, what happened on the battlefield? They won. When his arms got tired. And let me tell you, leaders' arms get tired. And if you can't be the winner that you want to be, then you be willing to help the leader you've got break the record. D.L. Moody said it's yet to be seen what could be done for the Lord if we didn't care who got the credit. Had two cohorts up there holding up his hands. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It looked ridiculous. Moses, why aren't you down here, down here, down here, down here? Somebody could have looked up and said, look at him. Up there, it's the same principle of Acts 6. We're not going to leave the Word of God and prayer to wait on tables. Turn your preacher loose to set his priorities on spiritual things. The battle is raging. Moses holding up his hands. And he had 
to have some helps. God, give us people that will help. It is the will of God that we be able to give ourselves to the word of God and to prayer to get direction. Hey! Y'all still with me? Yeah. I tell you what. When I get through, I'll quit. That's more than some preachers do. Let me tell you why your preachers got to have time for prayer and study. Why some of you ought to be offering to do some of these menial tasks. Brother Tenney, I thought you was preaching revival. God's getting the body ready. Getting our priorities straight. In the Old Testament, a man couldn't be a priest if he had a broken or a crooked nose. You know why? A preacher's got to have a good sniffer. There's been times in my ministry when I didn't see anything and I didn't feel anything, but it didn't smell right. And I couldn't have put my finger on it, but it's something rotten in Denmark. You can't have a broke nose. Another thing, you had to have good eyesight. Now, Brother Grant and I would have been disqualified because we've got glasses. You know why he had to have good eyesight? Well, he had to choose the lamb without spot and blemish. That's right. But the main reason was he had to judge leprosy. And they brought leprosy to him, to the priest. And leprosy is a type of sin. And the book of Leviticus gives this. He looked at it, and if it was scabby, and only about skin deep, just a little red, it's all right, forget it. But if it was below the skin and the hairs coming out of the scab was white, leprosy. But if he couldn't tell whether it was skin deep or in the flesh and whether the hair, he had to shut it up seven days. And can you hear the peer pressure from the congregation? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? You better handle it. You better do something. He said, i got to shut it up. I'm not ready to make judgment. And you're not going to force me to make judgment. Pastor, you ever hear anybody say, what are you going to do about this? I'm not going to do nothing until I get the green light from God. I'm going to shut it up to see if it's leprosy or not. All right. Because, listen, there's been a miniature church tore up over what somebody thought was leprosy when it wasn't nothing but a wild hair. Right. You can tear up a church over a wild hair. But, on the other hand, if you're not careful, you can let sin get loose, unjudged, and destroy a congregation. So the man of God has got to be able to either say it is leprosy, it isn't leprosy, or I'm going to have to wait a while and pray and think and I'll let you know later. Turn your preacher loose in these last days. This is a crazy day. They got new sin invented every day. We never would get a, a, a catalog thick enough to, to tell everything that's sin today. And some things are just spirit. They just stink. And some things are weights and they're not sins. But the drift is not right. And dear God, help us. Our brethren need the wisdom of God to judge leprosy today in this barren land. But victory is ours in the battle. Colossians 2.15 And with this, I 
and having spoiled principalities. Now I want to show you the victory that Jesus is giving you. Not just preachers, but you saints. You are tailor-made victory. We need a day of total mobilization. God has called the ministry. Apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Every one of you saints has a ministry. And God has called these men to mature you in that ministry. And I'm not talking about a pulpit ministry. But we need some ordinary bushes out there in the wilderness. Burning to the glory of God. That men can turn from the highways and the byways to see what makes you all of the then known world was under the Roman Empire Paul used military terms here church at Colossae understood these military terms start over brother Alexander and having spoiled principalities now the devil's the principal the air the word spoiled there means stripped he said Jesus Christ in our colloquial modern army terms busted the devil Satan was a high archangel. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. And lightning travels at a rate of speed of 28,500 miles per second. Zap! Gone. Busted him. He stripped him. Read on. Principalities and powers. He made a shoe of them openly. Okay. Now, the Roman general that defeated a general in another city would take the vanquished general to the city square and he would strip him or bust him pull off all of his insignias his tunics and take him down to his underclothes strip him before everybody and then he would shame him He would chain him or tie him behind his chariot and the Roman general would trot his horse through the town and make the poor man half naked who was a great general trot in open shame through the city. Read on. Triumphing over them. And then he would bring him back to the city square, make him lay down and he'd put his foot on his neck. Triumphing over him. Subduing him. He stripped him. He shamed him. He subdued him. And Paul said, that's what Jesus did. Said he stripped the devil. He grabbed him and he drug him across the cosmos. (laughs) Glory to God. Can you imagine that day according to Ephesians 4 when he went down into the lower parts of the earth? Amen. And old Lucifer rattling his chains on his throne and all of a sudden there came uh, somebody said a rap at the door. I don't believe he knocked him. I just think he backed up and kicked the door open and walked in. Hallelujah. And Satan rose up off the throne and said, I've been looking for you for 4,000 years. And Jesus said, give me what you got around your waist. No! You can't have those keys. Give them to me. And he wrestled with him and took from him the keys. And Jesus Jesus came out and said, I am he that liveth and was dead. But behold, I am alive forevermore. And I've got the keys. Hallelujah. He drug him across the cosmos and shamed him and put his foot on his neck. Hallelujah. Let's stand and praise him. Clap your hands and praise him.
Shahaya. The power of a selfless life. Here I am, Lord. I offer myself to you. I give myself to you. Clap your hands again. Clap your hands again to the Lord. Stripped him. Shamed him. Subdued him. Stripped him. Shamed him. Subdued him. Stripped him. Shamed him. Subdued him. Because I live, ye shall live also. Victory! 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 I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got. Everything I am. Everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. Oh, I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got. Oh, everything I am. Everything I'm not. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got. Everything I am, everything. Everything I'm, I'm turning loose. Turning loose. Try me now and see, see if I can be completely yours.